Hi, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 46 of The Yacking Show. This is where we talk about life, business, and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for a changing world. As always, we have an interesting guest for you today, but first, it's my privilege to introduce my co-host down in Waterloo, Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome, and take it away. Hello, Peter, and hello, everyone. Thank you so much once again for joining us. We so appreciate you tuning in. And as always, if any of you is interested in being interviewed on The Acting Show, please don't hesitate to reach out to Peter or myself, and we will look forward to uh, having you on. We also appreciate your comments. Please keep them coming, and we appreciate those. And as Peter said, we do have a special guest with us today, as always. His name is Jim Strauss. Welcome, Jim. How are you? I'm fine, Kathleen. Thank you. Nice to have you. Well, Jim, you have a very interesting past. You are an author, but I'm going to let it, give it back to you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and what led up to your writing. Well, I've been writing since I was a kid when I was um, in Wisconsin with my uh, military family. My dad was Coast Guard. We had relatives um, around Waukesha, so when we were visiting the relatives or then going back home, I was writing screenplays at that time and then having the kids in the neighborhood perform it. And then I became a correspondent in college with a lot of, lot of people, just writing letters back and forth and, and then started writing seriously as I got older, uh, working on a few novels. Um, did not get around to uh, Vietnam until very, very late in my career, really. Um, I was with the CIA for 17 years, so I basically started writing thrillers based on my missions in the field, and uh, that's, that's what really drew me in, because a lot of people were interested in that. Uh, most people don't get the refined details of what it's really like to be out there in the field with the CIA. In fact, a lot of people believe if you stay, you were with the CIA, you're breaking some law, but you're not. You just can't give away, you can't give away secrets, otherwise you go to prison forever. But you can talk about the fact that you worked there and, and you know, not that Americans tend to believe someone who says he was in the CIA. You can say that at parties if you want them not to believe you. If you go to a party abroad and say you were in the CIA, you're going to quickly get dead. Yeah. They, do, they do believe you out there. Oh my goodness. Don't make that mistake. Anyway, so I, I however, um, started these websites. Uh, I think I have, I think I'm on, I have six Facebook sites. And uh, then I have several websites, uh, my author website, business website. And those are all active websites, by the way. What's the difference? People think if you get a website, the website does it all. In truth, you've got to change a whole lot of stuff every day on websites. So the administration of real active websites is very difficult, including Facebook. The modern people of today have short attention spans and they want something right now and right away. And so to stay active and keep your membership up, you've got to be doing a lot of stuff. And one day my IT guy started a new website and said, I need something fresh, something brand new. In 1970, after I got out of the hospital in the Marine Corps, I started writing about what had happened to me uh, in Vietnam. And then uh, took it to uh, the guy who wrote the book, Soldier. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but, uh, 
and he thought it was really impressive, but he says, you, you, are you sure you want to publish this? And I said, why wouldn't I? He said, do you want to be known for this the rest of your life? This will define you. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it wasn't a good time to be a Vietnam veteran. Sure. So I put it in my closet on the floor and it traveled with us from different closets to different closets. But when Chuck said that to me about wanting new original material, I went and got it and pulled it out. And, and I was struck by how emotionally moving it was. I had not remembered writing it that way. To me, it was just a recitation of what had happened. But in reading it now, years later, I went, wow, this is, this is heavy duty stuff. And so I started rewriting it. And that's how 30 Days Has September was born. You know, now it's three book series, 1400 pages to cover only 30 days. But it's the devil is in the details. When you read it, you don't need to do credibility discovery or anything else. It's all right there. People, you know, if I was a brilliant genius, I couldn't dream all of that finite detail that that embedded itself in my mind. I mean, people say, how can you remember all that? And my answer is, how can I forget? Mm -hmm. uh, because it was so burned in. Um, so that's, that's not really how I started, but it's the process that I went through. It's very difficult to be a novelist and a writer out here. I run a local newspaper. It doesn't pay. I'm a writer. It doesn't pay. Uh, the John Grishams of the world are very, very rare. So what you have to do is you have to love it so much that you will endure the fact that it's going to be a money-losing proposition. And also, it's a high criticism occupation <laughs> in that very few people, and the exception is the veteran site, very few people write to compliment you. They write to tell you your errors, your grammatics, uh, or this fact wasn't right or that fact wasn't right, but seldom do they just say things. And I've had the good fortune of having the writer's site where I published the books chapter by chapter for free because a lot of the veterans are broke yeah. uh, for free. And, uh, and then they write comments on each chapter. And I was expecting to be rejected. I was expecting to have a lot of the real combat veterans reject me. And it was just the reverse. And that was began my therapy, my real Vietnam therapy. For years, I thought I was the worst commanding officer of the worst company of Marines in the worst valley on the planet. And I went with that because I lost so many men, that feeling deeply embedded in me. And these veterans, they would be a, three miles away from me saying, finally, somebody's writing the truth about this stuff. We've never seen this before. And I came to realize from them that it, I wasn't so bad. You know, I, I was, it was a bad, bad circumstance. And how does a 23-year-old fresh out of college deal with that? I mean, it was, it was like an alien planet that you've landed on. Uh, and so it was, it's been very therapeutic for me to write that series. And now the book that follows it is called The Cowardly Lion. That's me coming home. Uh, okay. Because I had to become that to survive back in our culture. I could not bring the tools. I could not bring the mindset. I couldn't bring the attitude or the applications home without going to prison for life. Yeah. Because if I went to a biker bar or something, somebody might be thinking about kicking my butt. That wouldn't be what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's not healthy. <laughs> uh, so you can't, 
you've got to stay away from those kinds of places, stay away from those kinds of exposures. So your kind, my kind of post-traumatic stress, junior from Vietnam, does not come out again because I have a family of people I care about and care about me. And I, I love America and the American way of life. Uh, and I want to enjoy it as much as possible. So I, I, I apologize. I do not, I run from road rage. <laughs> I'm a, a, the cowardly lion, okay? Because I can't let the lion out, out. Uh, or it would be too much. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a long answer to, and I'm not sure it was an answer. <laughs> well, you know, Jim, our, we have a fabulous audience, so we will undoubtedly get lovely comments about this interview and about you. So I, I have no doubt about that. But first, I have to ask you, because forgive us, it isn't every day that we have CIA field yeah. agent yeah. <laughs> on the show. Is there anything you can tell us about that experience? Well, it was, uh, yes, I mean... Uh, Peter Falk and Alan Arkin made a movie. He was a dentist and, and Peter Falk was the CIA agent. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was uh, that, that movie I love because it's like a comedy of errors out there. The reason I love missions was because I had to run on all 12 cylinders. I was given the background, I was given the intelligence, the satellite, the in egress, the, the, the ingress and egress modes, all of that, and then I'm sent in. And, and one of the things I quickly learned was the mission wasn't going to go down anything like that. Yeah. All right. You have to, you're going to have to figure out, you know, how you accommodate the languages, the cultures, the, uh, the, the, the assets that you're handed the, in, in, in the uh, culture and how, in the money, how you're going to, you know, these, these restricted currencies and things like that, that Americans don't know anything about. And you have to learn to accommodate all that. And then you have to somehow accomplish the mission in the middle of this. And then you have to know all the time that you're doing the mission that this is going to be annotated and then it's going to be played back in the home office. Yeah. <laughs> and so how you, how you accomplish the mission has to be also a bunch of lies. Because the guys in the home office, they're tough. Us field guys, we're cowardly lions, right? We're trying to stay alive yeah. and not kill people, okay? In spite of what the movies show, you don't want to hurt people out there because it's like waves coming back at you. Uh, you will see these people again in a different country, a different time. Uh, agents don't kill agents, for example. That's in the movies. Yeah. No CIA agent can kill another CIA agent or get that mission because guess what? As you do that mission, no other CIA agent will ever work with you again. Yeah. They won't trust you not to do that to them. And yeah. so <laughs> it, it doesn't work like real life. But, you know, you go from country to country and, and, uh, and you can do so very quickly. I mean, one day you're in Abu Dhabi and 12 hours later you're in Santiago, Chile. I mean, mm -hmm. languages, cultures, everything switching, changing. And you're the mission. You're the team leader. And, and so everybody looks at you like, okay, what do we do? And you're going inside, you're saying, I don't have a clue. <laughs> but you got you to make something up. I mean, I had to look in the drawer when I opened the hotel room uh, desk. I was looking for something. I was looking for a brochure that would tell me what country I was in. <laughs> I was so tired. I couldn't remember where the heck I was. And that these guys are, are then depending on me. And so... 
it, 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 I enjoyed running on all 12 cylinders like that and being challenged like that. Yeah. And, and then coming home and trying to deal with the home office that had no understanding. All they wanted was the success of the mission, but they also wanted an adventure story and they wanted all assets used. If they give you the Navy and a submarine, that submarine, that's probably the first and only mission they're ever going to be on. These submarines go around the world all the time and nothing happens. So yeah. when they get a mission, this is a big deal. And if you leave them sitting there offshore, <laughs> they get really upset. That You know, I flew into Wiesbaden and they didn't know who I was. They just knew I was the mission commander. No ranks, no names, no nothing. So here's the Air Force crew on its first mission. We fly into Wiesbaden and the captain, who is the pilot, turns to me and says, sir, do you want us to be ready to leave? And I said, well, of course. So I got off the plane. I got in a Jeep. You go, you go out the gate. You don't have to go through passport control or anything. You're landing at a military base, really neat. And then I go to the hotel where the meeting is going to be. And the meeting is supposed to take two days. I have the meeting and it's over in 15 minutes. It's simply the passage of some materials and information. Well, now I got a day and a half to kill, right? And I'm at a five-star hotel. Ooh, yes, me and my partner. We party up, we go to the bar, we have a wonderful food, the whole thing. 48 hours later, we jump into the call for the Jeep. The Jeep comes, we go back to the base. And as I'm getting on the, toward the tarmac, I hear this roar. And I look up and it's the, it's the transport plane with all four engines running. <laughs> and I'm going, what? I can't, I said, and the captain is there, he salutes. We've been ready, sir. They've been running the engines for two days. And I'm going, oh my God, this is how important they see their role. In, yeah. and, and of course, their mission was nothing. They delivered me, they took me out, and they never got to know anything, uh, which, is, which is a big part of the CIA. You're always ordering newspapers from around the world just to discover what is it that you did. You know, I blew up a bakery. Okay, that's, that was my mission. I had to blow up a bakery, nobody in it, as a demonstration that we were serious, okay? And so I then, this was in Paris, so I'm in South America, and I'm, I finally get the uh, International Herald Tribune, and I'm reading this story about this bakery that got blown up in Paris. Uh, well, we did it at night, and we did it with very poor intelligence and everything. I didn't know it was the bakery that was part of Notre Dame. <laughs> And I'm going, oh, my God, I blew up Notre Dame. Now, we didn't. It was this little bitty thing there, and it was a, to get the attention of the French or whatever. But this is the kind of stuff that you get involved with. That, right. uh, fascinating, really. <laughs> so I write novels about this sort of thing. Uh, that's not in one of them, by the way. And I'm not quite so sure the agency would be happy, happy with our, that. Yeah. yeah, especially after what happened later on. Yeah, Jim, I've got a quick one. Going to switch um, direction a little bit. On your website, you, you say you've lived in many, many countries and uh, around about half of the states in the USA. So I've got to ask you, where, where was your favorite place in all those places you lived in? Well, you'd have to differentiate. You know, the, the USA is my favorite place on the planet, a lot of which is because when I come home from a mission or from abroad, I can let my, you know, I don't have to lock my door. I don't have bars on my windows. My car is going to be there when I come out of the coffee shop. 
all those things we take for granted in America don't exist in 90% of the world out there. Yep. And so you're, you're constantly on alert, waiting for predators. Here you're not. So I love the USA and living here and having that feeling. Okay, whether they're protesters or demonstrators, they're, they're not like what you can find in a lot of places. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not true. You're not at survival. So in the United States, of course, I moved to Lake Geneva because yep. in Wisconsin, because I so love the people in southern Wisconsin. Also, it's a beautiful lake. Uh, my parents were close by at the time before they passed. And there were a lot of factors there. Also, 9-11 had happened. And I wanted to live close to my kids because, well, I'm the yep. go-to guy. If you're going to need, you know, if you need junior, then here I am. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be junior again, ever. But I know what to do and how to do it and am equipped to do it. So I was afraid of that. I didn't know where 9-11 was going to go. Mm. Didn't believe a lot of what had happened, but I realized it was a very serious issue. Sure. And could turn, turn bad at any time. Um, so abroad, where would I live? Quito, Ecuador. I would live in Imbabura, which is a mountain outside of Quito. And it's a stunning place. Uh, Ecuador is a country that is prettier than Switzerland, and the people are nicer than Thailand. Really? Uh, they, wow. And they love, Amer they love Americans. And yeah. so I, I like that. Good. Uh, oh, that's great. Kathleen, can I ask um, Jim? I know you've got the burning question for him. I'm going to jump in quickly. <laughs> you, you spoke about firing on all 12 cylinders. About two years ago, Kathleen and I were going on a business trip to Niagara Falls to meet somebody, and we were having a conversation. And I've had a, a, a very different life to yours, but <clears throat> also lived in a hostile environment for most of my life in Africa. And I said to Kathleen, one of the problems I find with Canada is too safe, and I miss living on the edge. And Kathleen couldn't understand what I was talking about. But having heard you talking, I think... You also, when you got back to peace and quiet, as, as good as, as, as it is to be safe and peaceful, something, some part of you misses living on the edge. Do you, do you find that or not? I'm not sure I'd define it that way, Peter. I mean, I, I don't seek actively to put myself envir into environments where my ignorance will cause my death. <laughs> if you go into combat, the likelihood is you're going to die. Sure. So you should avoid going into combat if you can. Of the people who served in Vietnam, the 2.7 million, only 375,000 saw ground combat. Of the 375,000, 362,000 were wounded or killed. Really? That's how dangerous combat is. And so wow. when, if you talk to a real combat veteran who's been shot and shot other people, you're in rare air, mm -hmm. all right? There yeah. are not that many of us around. Sure. And a lot of them aren't capable of either intellectually or emotionally telling their story. Uh, and so a lot of them really credit me with telling this story of 30 Days as September because they can finally hand this book or this books to their relatives and say, you want to know sure. what it's like? This yep. guy will tell you what it was like. This right. is why I can't talk about it. He's talking about things that I can't talk about. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. talking about Band of Brothers. No, stuff. No, no. I, love, I love Band of Brothers like I love West Wing. But those two things are about as real as the man in the moon sure. when it comes sure. to the real deal. If you want to know the real deal, you should, you should buy my books as a primer if you want to go into combat. You may live the first week at least, because <laughs> okay, that's yeah. that's when you're likely to die. 
That's right. Yeah, I was lucky. Our little war was was uh, quite different. Uh, Where were you, Peter? Rhodesia, terrorist war, Rhodesia. Oh, you know it well. Soldier called up for ten years on and off. Yeah, part time soldier and uh, and lots of other stuff. But this this is not about me. So. I I, uh, I agree. I don't look to put myself in danger, but I do find at times uh, you want I, to be challenged. I yearn for the the challenge. Absolutely, you want the challenge. Okay, yep. you and you also want the appreciation of being in a place where you can accomplish the mission. You know, right. I mean, they would call Jimmy, let Jimmy do it. You know, and go That's out right. there on this ridiculous uh, uh, mission, or maybe a mission they didn't want to succeed. They have those too but they have Absolutely. to satisfy congressmen and people like that and send people. Yep. I'm going to hand it back to Kathleen. I know she's dying to ask you something about your books. You go for it, Kathleen. Um, I do have a good question for you. Uh, Jim, you talk, it's obviously we've just established that you write about the Vietnam war, but what, um, why did you wait 50 years? I didn't wait 50 years. I wasn't waiting for any particular time. I, I had looked in the closet at that and, and, the, and that life experience, and I had attempted to walk away from it. Nobody knew as soon as I grew my hair and got away from uh, the Camp Pendleton area that I was a Vietnam veteran. Even when I was in the CIA, I did not play that card. It was in my file, but my file's not available to other personnel. And so I did not uh, respond that way. For one thing, I didn't want people to know that Junior lived in me, that I had the capability that's demonstrated in there, which, which I was a predator. Uh, I was a, a terrible predator in Vietnam and, and I was humorless and I lost my emotions. I lost my ability to cry, to laugh. All of that went away because it was pure survival. And I wanted to get as far away. I want to laugh. <laughs> I want to have a good time. I want to, I want to love people. I, I don't want, I don't want to have to be afraid all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and I was afraid all the time in the CIA, I could construct as the team leader situations. I had all of this help and support and I could control things around me so that we weren't so exposed to that kind of terror, uh, to be afraid for your life all the time is a, is a life changing event. And, and the fact that I was able, you know, I, when I came home, I fortunately had a wonderful wife and a young daughter and I moved to San Clemente, California, got out of the Marine Corps and I started hanging around with the Nixon estate people and the lifeguards and the police. None of these people were Vietnam veterans. And so I could refashion myself to fit back in. Uh, and, and so I didn't have veteran friends. And today I only have a very few. One of them flew over the A-shout in an A-6 with support and found me later after the war, wow. just recently, really. And now we, we meet once a week to have coffee and stuff. And then we do talk the war and some of the zaniness that went on, him up there and me down below, without knowing it was him up there and me down below. Right. We, uh, we got to watch our time. Jim, what a fantastic story. And we're only scratching the surface. Kathleen, you've got another one for Jim there. Uh, Jim, who is the character Arch Patton modeled on? Well, to me, that, that's, those are my adventures. My, all of my work is probably between 70 and 90% accurate, even though they're novels. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I draw from my own life experience. And that's the patina that some people love. When they read it, they go, I feel like I'm there. 
and they are because I'm putting them there and I'm giving them the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm -hmm. the idiots as well as the people who were great, and also how uh, how serendipitous most of this supposedly tightly constructed life really is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, so much so much depends on what happens when you get there and the people that show up. Um, and, and in that business, and of course, Vietnam was the same without the gunny to take me under. I mean, the first time I was under fire, I did the smartest thing that anybody could do in the world. I was the second lieutenant. I was the only officer. I was assigned to be company commander. The gunny had been company commander. And he says, no, you're company commander. <laughs> and so we got under fire a little while later and I got up and ran. And he caught me and buried me in the mud. And then he, he said, you don't move until I come back. I was there for hours. I was hardened into the mud. I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> he comes back and he gets out. He says, now I know that you're feeling bad. You're feeling like you're a coward. And the truth is the company commander is not supposed to run. Okay? It's a bad, it's a bad it's sign. Not a good sign, yeah. yeah. He said, but the, I, why do you suppose I was behind you? I was expecting you to run. Because <laughs> He said, now, the next time you won't run, but we won't listen to anything you say. It's going to take a couple more firefights for that. Finally, we'll start to pay attention to what you're saying. <laughs> and he said, there's only one more transition left. If you stay here in this environment too long, you'll come to like it, and you don't come back from that one. That's okay. right. Yeah. Then you're, yeah. You're, you, you've gone mentally over the edge. But over the edge. That kind of, you know, I had the good fortune of, of the gunny uh, and showing me he'd been through three wars. And I never found out what the three wars were. I would go Korea. Yeah, I got that one. He's not old enough to have been worth the other two wars. Well, Vietnam would be one of them, but I never found, I never figured out the third war. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something. Well, we had a few Americans over with us, so I might have met him. You never know. <laughs> Well, South Africa I, was one of my stomping grounds. I'm blood brother to Mangusutu Buzalezi, chief of the Zulus. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Former chief of the Zulus. And of course, we were very, very against Mandela. Of course. And the Alosa. We yeah. were, we were uh, Zulu and Alosa do not oil and water. And then we had Lesotho up in the middle. That's right. Uh, the two tribes up there kind of dis decision makers in the election. Yeah. And my job was to get them to vote for... Boothalazy, not because Boothalazy could win, he couldn't. No. But so it would be a horse race. Yeah, but he would have been, the, the future of the country would have been so different if he had. It would have been quite a, quite a difference, I think. Well, what a, what a bright, uh, loving, benevolent man he, yeah. he uh, is and was. Yeah, but he, he espoused violence, so of course he wasn't popular in the rest of the world. That was the whole problem, right? He wasn't well, it's like violence. It's like talking about politics now. It's how it was played. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's how it was played. I mean, uh, the Encanto Freedom Party, of course, there was violence, yep. just as there were with uh, Mandela and his oh, party. Of course. Yeah. We're going to be running out of time. We, we, I've got to ask you, um, you serialize your books, and I believe from our good friend Chuck that you got that inspiration from a historical literary figure that we all know. So tell us a little bit about that, and it's got to well, be in Alexander a minute or two. Alexander Dumas, of course, is a, a giant in the world of literature, and Absolutely. his book, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, is like, it's a philosophy more than anything else. Now, yes, it's a book of unadulterated vengeance, no question about that, <laughs> but never forget the first 400 pages, he rewards all the people 
that in any way helped him while he yeah. was on this crusade. Uh, but Dumas couldn't get published. Well, you can't get published today unless you are already published. Or if you're famous, then you get published. But you don't get published to get famous anymore. Those days yeah. are gone. So what are you supposed to do? So what I decided to do was serialize and go on online with my uh, Facebook site, James Strauss Writer, dot whatever it is. Um, you can find me easily. I'm, I'm all over Google. But so I, and I also wanted it to be for free so that the veterans could read it uh, and, and not be charged. And I didn't know what my audience was going to be. And of course, we sell the book self-published self on Amazon. And, and I'm struggling right now because the third novel is out. And people don't, you know, people don't realize that if they, buy, if they buy signed novels by me or inscribed novels, then I have to buy them from the publisher, get them here. Yep. And then I have to inscribe, sign them, get them in envelopes, stamp them, and get them to the post office. And I say, I, my wife went into the bathroom not to hear this. Because <laughs> she is the person that does this. Does it all, she, yeah. She, she, uh, yeah. She does not do it. She's Irish. She doesn't do it without complaint. <laughs> and so I... In fact, this morning, I just got a load because the book came out, and all of a sudden, we have a backload of like 200, ah. all right? And I see this as great, right? I love it. Oh, 200. I can sign each one in three seconds, right? And she's going, I don't have enough envelopes. I don't have stamps. I've got to go back and forth to the store and blah, 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 to the <laughs> post office. And, okay. Because that's a lot of books. Yeah, you know, it is a lot of books. Yeah. I mean, the, this is... 30 days it's it's it, even though it's a paperback and they come in hard copy too it's it's not a, a light like a regular sure. mass market paperback this one happens to have come from the wall in washington dc this guy took my book to the wall and then he put uh, this he put this with it that's yeah. the book there and he left it at the wall and then the authorities the guys who run the wall found me and said, you know, would I like the book and that back? There you <laughs> go. So, so they, they sent it to me. I thought, how poignant to yeah. have my book Excellent. put at the wall. Excellent. It, it was really, those guys, the, the veterans, some of them are just, they're, they're marvelous. And Absolutely. so I love to open up the site because usually in the morning I can smile that they've said something else that I don't think other authors, many of them get where right. you change change their life sure. uh, or, or Jim I'm gonna have to stop you we're gonna run out of time in a moment and I really want you to tell us or tell our audience how they can contact you to buy your books and I've read the one Arch Patton one that you suggested I read and I will read the others as well so that's my recommendation if you want to read a good book on personal experience get hold of Jim's book so how do they do that well, they go to jamesstrauss.com, which is the website, the writer's okay. website. Okay. Yeah. They can also go to James Strauss on Facebook. Uh, I'm on there in this James Strauss group, Strauss's Army, uh, James Strauss Personal. Um, and so I'm, I'm relatively easy to find. And my address is 507 Broad Street, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, 53147. Uh, I don't know if you're supposed to give your phone number out, but I don't mind. Uh, it's, that's entirely up to you. 262-581-5300. Uh, I particularly like to give it out to veterans who feel they need to talk to someone like me about their own experience because a lot of the veterans 
won't talk unless they know they don't have to be afraid. They know you know. Yeah. And then you can talk to them. It's, I talk to VA counselors, and sometimes I'm amazed that so many of them have no, no experience in this, this way. How can, how can they form an attachment with this guy that, that is so distant from them? Absolutely. We're going to have to uh, watch our time. So there's the contact details, and we will be putting them as captions on the video and in the description on the audio. Uh, Kathleen, back to you to say goodbye. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, Jim. It was an honor to have you on our show. Thank you for uh, all of your comments. Please keep them coming. We so appreciate it. And once again, if any of you is interested in being interviewed, please don't hesitate to reach out to Peter or myself. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kathleen. Bye-bye.